Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. With topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development, our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat. Uh, we're your host, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler. It is 2021. We had a few weeks off for the holidays. Uh, really excited to get on here and start the first podcast of 2021. Uh, Adam, how you doing, buddy? Man, doing great. It's good to be back. We had a nice little break. Hope everybody had happy, uh, happy holidays. Now we got 2020 over with, so hopefully this 2021 is going to be the year for good things coming our way. So we're excited about it. We're glad to be back with everybody. And we got some good topics that we're going to be able to bring up. How'd your holidays go, Sean? Oh man, it went awesome. Got some days off, few days off. Um, we got to spend time with the kids and, get to see the joy on their faces when Santa came, brought them presents and everything. So it was a, uh, it was a really good time at the Laird household. We, uh, you know, a lot of time when you get that time off it, you know, you really get to appreciate the little things and, you know, kind of get an escape from the daily grind. So it was pretty cool. How about you guys? And, uh, did you guys uh, go anywhere? Just hang out at the house? Yeah, we just hung out here. We uh, took a little trip, a little vacation out of town, just go to Biloxi for a couple of nights and get the kids that while the kids were with their dad. But uh, a lot of good stuff, just being able to see, yeah, Santa come bring them presents. And, you know, Santa gets all the credit for bringing all the, <laughs> gifts, all the gifts together. So they forget about the other ones. But, uh, nah, man, it was, a, it was a blast. It was much needed, like you said. You got the time to sit back, relax, enjoy some time with your family. Kind of restart the batteries, too, as we get going into the season. I mean, I know we kick off a little bit earlier down here in Alabama. So it looks like I think their first games here high school-wise are February 11th, I believe. So, yeah. I mean, they're about six weeks out from getting going. So baseball, we're, we're going to have a really busy month of January and February coming up. Absolutely, man. That's absolutely crazy. Like, well, our guys up here in Indiana won't start till end of March, but most guys will start the first week of April because uh, we have spring break the last weekend of March last week of March into early of Feb, early uh, April. So um, we're obviously on a different schedule and stuff when it comes to ripping up pitchers and practices and everything. So basketball's got up here in Indiana. So we have to, <laughs> we have to wait until that season's done until uh, we're able to do anything else. But yeah. what's kind of, what's kind of the news going on at uh Heisler heat? Like how are you guys setting everything up? Like with your pitchers and your throwing programs, like how are you preparing guys for the season and uh, going through this winter training? Yeah, so we're kind of, I guess, one month ahead of schedule versus you guys. I know y'all just started yours, y'all's uh, this week in January. So our December is pretty much our live at bats cranked up where we had, I think, about 10 hitters coming in first facing against four to five different high school pitchers. So it was really cool to see kids compete against like one night we had a senior pitcher on the mound facing 14 and 15 year olds. And I just know looking back when I was that age, there was no way in heck I would have got in there to face a guy like that. And so it was cool to see the confidence as these kids had and the, Hey, they got in the box against him and put the bat on the ball a couple of times. And then also from the standpoint of the younger kids getting to throw to older kids, it was just a really good mixture and a, a good atmosphere that we really enjoyed. And it was kind of our first time doing it. So next year we'll definitely implement it a lot more, maybe even add November and December. That way when they start their high school practices, most of them, Started this week, the practices, meaning like the conditioning and the throw. And so it's going to be tough now just trying to schedule who's throwing bullpens at school versus being able to throw bullpens with us and then doing the live at bats as well. So we'll be on the hack attack a lot from a hitting standpoint, just getting the timing down, trying to break those barriers as fast as possible, Uh, breaking ball machines, kind of getting that real speed going. But I I was telling the dad last night, this was the earliest I've seen kids get ready for the season, meaning – they were in in October, they were in in November, 
in in December. Now they're ready to go versus the ones coming in right now. And we know that happens every year. You're going to get those phone calls of, hey, our season's starting here soon. We're ready to get into it. And we've been trying to tell everybody since we've been doing this podcast is you have to get ready months out to get ready Mm -hmm. for your season. So I'm super excited to see where these kids are going to go that – I think they're ready to start playing right now, and it's going to be fun to see when they actually get to play that first game of what these kids are going to be doing that have been putting in the work. But what about you guys? I saw last night on your IG you had your velocity program going for the month of January. Give everybody a little insight. What's going on there? Yeah, so we always will start after the new year. Um, We try to set it up to where it's 10 weeks straight of programming. Um, I send out the guys that sign up for the VLO program on the first week of December uh, kind of their ramp up or build up phase. Um, I, I hate saying ramp up phase because it just, everybody says that it just, I always just say, you know, you're building up. It's like periodization in the weight room. Like you're getting guys ready, getting them some GPP, getting prepped for the season, um, preseason into season. And so they'll have a, a routine for them to follow for that month before we go, they're following on their own. I got videos, a ton of videos I send to them. So they watch the videos when it comes to mobility, um, you know, core strength, uh, arm strength, you know, different exercises, as well as how to throw long toss, how far to go out, depending on, you know, you know, the level that you are, level that you want to be at. Um, so they follow that. And then that first two weeks of January, um, we'll, we'll kind of introduce the workout and everything. And we're usually there an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes per session. We do two sessions a week and they have a third session that they'll do on their own. And what I mean by that is, so most of the guys will train, uh, they'll do like the plyometrics, the arm care, like to come to that, this advanced stuff that takes an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes, three times a week. But I'm teaching them, you know, volume wise, we want them building up the throwing six times a week, six days a week. Um, and that's one thing that's very overlooked and people are completely unaware of that, you know, there's kids that'll throw three, four days a week all year. And they think that's enough, um, which we talked about it before. Um, but part of with that is, you know, getting them to throw more consistently helps them keep their arm in shape and also helps prevent injury. So most people are, as we talked about before, is they're detrained. They're not, they're not trained enough. Their arms are prep, prep for the season. That's where a lot of injuries come from. So we do a lot of educating in that aspect of things. Um, we got a lot of uh, high school coaches that send their kids to the program here in Indiana, which is really cool. Um, I got, I got, I got some buddies that send their kids to me, um, and some coaches and, you know, that, that coach high school baseball and they just like, Hey, you know, Sean, like kind of break this down for me a little bit. And it's, I love that because then I know they're going to do this stuff on their own and it's going to help. It's going to complement everything I'm doing in the programming and they could take that with them, you know, to their teams and, and build up their team and have the same type of, uh, um, build up or ramp up that people like to say. Um, but essentially the best advice I could say for the people who are listening is when we do these programming uh, and these programs, like the number one rule I tell everybody is like, you have to listen to your arm. Mm-hmm. And just because it's on paper and just because I say, we're going to do this, this, and this doesn't mean we are going to do this, this, and this every day. So there might be a couple days where you're, you know, exceptionally sore. And so we'll have guys that come in like, Hey, I got to throw a bullpen on this day, this day for my high school and my, my travel ball schedule. And without, and nowadays, like it's, everything's so specific and so detailed. Like when we were, I don't know how it was with you guys in Alabama, but we rarely ever did like practices in the winter for baseball. Like yep. you were playing another sport. Um, we were doing something else. Like we started conditioning, I think in January, we did conditioning two or three days a week, but we didn't like do team hitting stuff until I think it was late February, early March when, before mm-hmm. we started season. 
and we couldn't officially start season until the 14th. Nowadays, kids have, you know, three days a week training with their high school teams. They're doing private instruction two, three days a week. Um, and then travel ball programs, which appears a little bit different. You know, my philosophy with travel ball programs is it's, it's hard to kind of get practices and, and, and compete with all this other stuff we're doing because kids are already throwing bullpens. They're already doing other things. It's, it's obviously nice to have an option. Um, but part of with coming with that is us as private instructors, we have to really work around the programming and know what they're doing. So the second rule is communication, you know, not just under understanding, listening to your arm, but I always tell them like, Hey, like if your coach wants you to throw a pin, throw the pin, like we, we will work and we will monitor and do a uh, different, we'll do our max effort day, a different day. We'll do our low intensity day the day before, if you need to, like, we will do anything we need to do to build around what you do. Cause a lot of people, I think they get confused as like, Hey, I played catch today uh, on Sunday morning with my high school team. I can't come to Velo. What? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, so we got guys that'll come in um, and their volume might be down a little bit because they threw earlier in the day, or they might just go straight to recovery work. And mm -hmm. out of the hour and 30 hour and 45 minutes, the kids are there. Uh, 15 minutes is actual throwing stuff. So that's yeah. something like for us that we kind of, we kind of prep and kind of get into, but obviously with us, we're, we're kind of in the beginning stages uh, slash, you know, early to mid stages. When did you guys kind of start getting into your, your buildup phase and getting guys ready? I know you said you were throwing live, so you guys are way ahead of us in that aspect of things. When you were kind of getting guys ready to go before they started throwing live, kind of break us down the routine that you guys did. Yeah. So I say uh, a lot of our athletes will play football down here as well. So those ended in sometime mid-October, late October. And that's kind of when they first started doing their throwing program. So it all started from the day one assessment when they first got showed up, uh, showed up after the season was over from the football standpoint. And we kind of put them on a program of what they're doing with their, whether they're with us. I think at the time we had them two days a week with us. The other three days were on their own. Weekends were up to them. Like you said before, as we always mentioned to them of know your body. If you need a light, long, toss day that day, that's what you'll do. If you need a heavy, long, toss day and kind of get to how do you feel the next day out of there. So now you're understanding and kind of putting a plan together where we're really just blending everything. So it's not one specific. This is what everybody has to do. And so. Once they got through that phase, November was kind of our ramp up phase for these pitchers mainly. There were some position players in there, but theirs was just all about trying to gain velocity from throwing position. But now in December is when the first live at bat started. I think we had three weeks of them right before Christmas went to it. So we had three weeks of them. They each started off with 25 to 30 pitches. The next time they came in, 30 to 50. And that last time, I think they did 55 to 60 maybe in there. And we ran it. It was pretty cool. We ran it just like a game would be. So we had three different guys on three different teams, basically. So when one guy got his three outs, he swapped up. The next guy came in. So I was giving them that break in between innings, just like they're going to do when they face the game. You're not doing 60 straight pitches the whole time. So I think a lot of people get that misconstrued is when you're doing live at bats of – just let the pitcher go out there for 50 straight pitches where that's never going to happen in the game. So obviously try to break it up the best you can to get them into that game mode as much as possible. And now that January has gotten here, you nailed it with communication. We had, to, we talked to these kids on Monday about trying to set up because the hitters really enjoyed it and they want to face more live at bats. But now we just got to be smart about what the pitchers are doing outside of the facility. So like Sean said, if your high school coach has you scheduled to throw a bullpen that day, Ultimately, he's the one that writes the lineup, so you have to throw for him. Now, it's just communicate with us afterwards on 
how many pitches was it? Was it a light pin? Was it a flat ground? What was it exactly? And then that way, if we need to add in an extra live at bat bullpen day for you on Friday, we can do that where you threw on Monday. So it just goes back to having a schedule and knowing your body and communicating the right thing. The last thing you want to do is you're not ready to go, but you're trying to just so you can impress people. And if your arm isn't in full 100% shape, you're going to end up having an injury come from it. And you're not going to be as sharp as you want to be anyway. So slowly ramp up to this thing. No, and their first official practice where they can do hitting and everything is January 21st, I believe. So they're still a couple of weeks away from doing that. Right now is mainly conditioning and what they co call their arm care program. So now, unfortunately, some of these high schools really haven't studied enough on it. Like we talk about on here where there's some that they put you on a stopwatch and you throw for seven minutes and that's your throwing for the day. And we both <laughs> know that's absolutely garbage, so to speak. So those guys have to get extra working on their own. They just know that's the way it's going to be. So we're going to have to work around that situation or there's going to be some that they need to know exactly schedule out their long toss days, whether you're pitching or a position player of knowing heavy days, light day, medium days. But going back to what you said too, is you still have to work out. You still mm -hmm. have to do these exercises. Cause I think a lot of people think, Oh, baseball's here. I can just put down the weights. And it's all that good work you did. You just lost. You're going to lose all of it throughout the season. You're going to lose your weight. You're going to lose your mass. You're going to lose the strength that you've built up. So don't stop doing that guys. You actually need to, in my opinion, ramp it up even more, especially because these are the last few weeks you really get before the games actually start. And we know you want to back it down maybe a little bit when the games start here, but I would say you still got this month of January for the guys down here of still hit the weight room as hard, hard as possible. That way you're ready to go February 1st to, all right, we'll back down to two or three days a week, whatever it is, and work on our mobility more or have a few power lifts that we're going to incorporate in. But I think the big thing is just don't put the weights away just because the season is technically here. Absolutely, man. And that's for, for, for so many guys that are listening, like the, my best guys in the VLO programs or the arm care programs, whatever you want to call them, like, those are the guys that continue doing everything we taught them in that preseason and that offseason. They continue doing throughout the season. And you'll see those guys get stronger or throw harder as the season goes on. Um, and that's that's a big mistake. Guys think that rest is is always the answer. Um, and, you know, rest doesn't mean complete rest where you sit around and do nothing. Like, you have to continue doing your bands. You have to continue doing, you know, I'm a big fan of YTWLs for upper back. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of bear crawl. I'm a huge fan of bear crawls for scapular mobility and stability. Um, you know, getting upward rotation with wall slides. There's, there's so many things that you have to continue to do to keep building that armor to prevent yourself from breaking down. Um, but you know, Adam, I really enjoy listening, uh, to other programs and obviously, especially your program talking, um, when you guys have done your, your, your velo builders and your exercises, can you name a couple exercises for the listeners that you feel like are the biggest transfer to velocity on the bump? Yeah, so what I thought was probably – it's tough to name a few, but what the things that I saw more than anything was the scapular enhancers and the scapular mobilities, things that they do every single day. And it's mm -hmm. the little stuff like you were just talking about, the YTWLs, the wall slides, those little things that people don't want to do because you're not lifting weight basically. Mm -hmm. I think those are almost just as important as throwing a medicine ball or – doing the water balls that we have here that we got from the Florida baseball ranch and doing the balance and the core and the power and stuff. But honestly, those are kind of the things I would key on. And I think it's just helped them out overall, getting the strength there, getting them healthy, but then not only that, but seeing the velocities crank up too. Now, obviously pure strength is going to go into it. So it was good. What I liked most about it was the workouts were set up where they had like a power phase, a strength phase, a recovery phase, 
more of a mobility phase. And it was just something different every single day. So these kids got to really dive in deep on maybe certain things that they have never done before and really start to see that ramp up. Now that goes also with the, we've had them on weighted ball program, not where you're just chunking weighted balls around where there's a method behind the madness on why you're throwing this ball, this ball, this ball. But when we implement them, it's like we do the walk and wind up into the throw. We do the reverse throws where they kind of get into a hip hinge on the mound reverse down the mound as fast as possible as they're trying to throw the long toss, the, the basic long toss. Well, coach, we're inside. How do we push a long toss? Like we talked about on fours, you just aim higher into the cage, just like you would be on the field. And when you're throwing, once you get to where you feel warm, you can literally do this by yourself. And I think that's the coolest part about it is some kids may get warm in 15 minutes. Some maybe it takes 20, 25 minutes. It's once you get warm, we kind of let them know of, all right, this is your heavy long toss day get as warm as you can. And then after that, once you start, it's let us know how many you're going, whether it's 15, you're airing it out full speed and then work your way down. If you want to go 10, whatever it is from that standpoint, there's not a set number that we make these guys do. So same thing with kind of like their exercises. We've gotten really good now too of, I guess it was such a wide base early on from uh, the throwing standpoint that we got to do this summer when we had them five days a week, where now we only have them two days a week. So it's, what are the two most – the two days, what are the most important ones that we need to do here that they can't do when they're not here? And that's really what we've done more than anything is if they can long toss, they can go long toss on their own. They just make sure they have to get it done and they have to record to us that they did. Don't lie to us. Like, just tell us, be honest, hey, I skipped my day or either I did it. But then it's, all right, these are my main focal points when I'm in the facility and then these are my main focal points when I'm out of the facility. And it just helps them and it goes back to the communication standpoint of being in touch with us or – Hey, they're going to video something that's going on. We tell the guys video, take a tripod, video your bullpens. If you're not with us, we can still break those down. Same thing with hitters. We can still break those things down now that you're not necessarily with us because once high school practice starts, I mean, some of those guys will go to six o'clock at night, so they might not have time between homework and that to get into the facility. So it's, Hey, these are some swings from today, or these are, this is my bullpen from today. What are you seeing? That way you can communicate back and forth. So it's almost like a remote training type of deal mm-hmm. with you guys. And and when you can speak the same language is when everything works the best. So it's not, I'm going to tell you this just because this is the word on it, but you're not going to understand it. So you have to really go into detail on what exactly it is that you want them to do. And that way they can understand what they're working on. But what is the big main goals? I know you did the Savage training with the Florida Baseball Ranch. Is there anything new you're adding into the velocity thing this year that you haven't done in previous years? Yeah, so we have had a lot of success. And essentially, my velo programs in the past have built all basically around two things. And it's my history of how I'm personally and myself. It's basically the old school type training as a baseball player and a boxer of how I increase rotational power. And throwing velocity, which I mean, everybody that knows is, was a, med, a lot of med ball training, um, a lot of explosive sprints and football. We're doing a lot of football throws. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to dive in more about like, hey, what should I go to? Because I've read I've read Driveline's book, um, took some some snippets I liked. Um, and I, you talked about savage trading earlier and when we during quarantine, I was like, man, I've, I've been wanting to really look into Florida Baseball Ranch or obviously Texas Baseball Ranch. So I went into that. Um, and essentially what we started implementing a lot of stuff that they do, um, is we're doing a little bit of the same rotational exercises that they're doing now. Uh, we started using, um, some dual handle med balls more often, like, like I saw them doing a lot in the programming. Mm -hmm. Um, I had always done slosh pipe training 
uh, for uh, in street deconditioning. So basically, we're we're basically building a you know, we cut a, a five uh, foot PVC, put water in it's it's unstable surface, um, and I'd done that for strength training, but I hadn't done it for um, the velo programs. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching them that showing the the, the water uh, the water instability training that they're doing. And I go, man, I mean, that actually, I, I didn't even never put two and two together. Like I should do that for more, especially the younger, that, that, that 12 to 15, that 12 to 16, that really have a hard time with controlling their trunk and controlling their upper body. And you'll see guys with these slosh pipes that only weigh 20 pounds and they look like they're drunk walking down the, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, cage. It's, it's super fun. So I start implementing a lot of that. And, um, a lot of their, uh, the recovery type stuff. I was a real big fan of basically their indicators, uh, talking about single leg hinges versus the double leg hinge, um, how to activate and really focus on getting consistent with that. Um, I like the perturbation training that they would, they would have guys do. So we started implementing a lot of those things and adding that in. So I would say probably about 20, 20 minutes of our programming now is a lot of the savage stuff that we implemented into that. And obviously still continuing into stuff that I've always done. Cause I'm a big, I'm a big fan of like, Hey, let's, let's, let's make sure that we have as many tools in our mm-hmm. arsenal as possible. Um, cause everybody, as, as we know, like not everybody's the same cat, like everybody's going to respond to different things. And I'm a big believer. You're, like your, your base, your core has got to be strength. If you want to throw hard yeah. um, with that, you have to have mobility. And then, and then the, the last um, main topic, if you will, is that fast twitch, that, that powerful rotational training. I, that's something I think that is, is, is huge, especially for the guys, um, like we were just saying, that need that trunk stability, able to move um, you know, from point A to point B in a very short amount of time. I always talk about with hitters is like, well, once we get to launch position, you know, how fast can you get the barrel to the ball? And not only how fast, but how how direct is your route? You know, how, how is your launch quickness to the ball? Like there's so many things with that. You can correlate the same thing with pitchers and, and the fast twitch muscle fibers and training them to be explosive. Um, so I really love diving in and dissecting and getting as much as I can. Honestly, I could probably run them for three straight hours, but the kids would be dead afterward <laughs> with, all, with all the stuff that I want to do. Um, and obviously we're, we're doing um, a lot more training in the phosphogen energy system. Uh, we've always done the speed training and the plyometrics and, and stuff like that. We're starting to implement more rotational type stuff um, in that energy system. And I've always been a big fan of focusing on short explosive movements um, as opposed to the long distance is mm-hmm. obviously – you know, at South Alabama, that's all we did was long distance type stuff. And we knew how that felt. It felt like I broke our bodies down. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I was, I'm always learning, um, implementing what I learned from my injuries in the past into the programming um, to help prevent those. Cause that's, a, that's uh, for me, obviously as a strength coach, I want to stay healthy first and obviously the power training, but obviously continuing my education, continuing learning all the time and implementing new things. And I've, I've used RMT clubs a lot and I've actually, when I first got RMT clubs, I used them a little bit and I liked them for certain drills. And uh, now I use them all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm such like just with a two pounder, or four pounder, you know, I'm a strong guy. Um, I'm still a has been, but I, I could, if I'm using that two, two pounder, four pound RMT club and I'm doing rotational power stuff with that, I'm, I'm beat after a couple of rounds, just, you know, two 10 second rounds or two eight second rounds. It's, it's hard and it's, it's hard to stabilize. And so I love implementing that stuff with the kids and kind of opening their eyes. Like this is how you train. This is how you get to that next level when it comes to, you know, pushing your body to another, another level that you're not aware of. Um, but those are some of the things that we kind of, we've implemented, you know, hearing from you talk about savage training and, and studying through that. 
and trying to make sure that we're constantly always evolving at Laird's training. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that you mentioned, because yesterday there was a kid in and, hey, well, I don't want to throw as hard as this one. I'm stronger than him. And it's so funny that so much more goes into just being stronger than that kid mm-hmm. and the mobility and being able to move it in the right direction. And so I think that's what the Savage did more than anything was kind of blended everything together where those circuits that were eight to 10 seconds, where it's max full speed effort for those eight to 10 seconds. And then you start to think about that, how that translates to the game of baseball of everything that is explosive movements. And that's what you're doing as opposed to, Hey, you're just doing your basic five by five sets of blah, blah, blah. And then, as slow as you want. No, there's no rhythm. There's no timing. There's no explosiveness. It's just kind of going through the process. So it is cool how they have their strength phase, but then they have the power phase to go with it. And then that was the cool thing, just back and going back and forth with those two things. Absolutely. And I kind of want to carry over into another topic, Uh, basically kind of use the rest of this as kind of FAQs and stuff that's happened in the facility over the last couple of months. Um, But basically we had a situation, nothing, no big deal at LT. We had a dad, and I'll, I'll preface this with I'm not dogging on this dad at all. So this is nothing derogatory by any means. This is just to bring this up as an, to educate people that are listening to have young kids. Um, but he, he, he asked a question uh, to one of my employees recently. He's like, hey, you know, you know, my kid's young. His kid was eight years old, I believe, eight or nine years old. And um, he goes, you know, hey, I, uh, I really like the training. I just feel like that the kids are kind of, you know, joking around and goofing off too much. He was like, it's not your fault or anything like that. Talking to one of my employees. And he's like, um, I just feel like that, you know, maybe it would be better to be in, you know, a pri- more of a private environment essentially. And I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing here. Um, I just feel like that it's, it's hard for him to focus, but at the same time he was, he's doing group training at LT um, or he has done it in the past. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that and I knew exactly how I wanted to respond to that, but I kind of want to get, um, your opinion on that, on what you think about that when he was thinking about, Hey, this kid's messing around or my kid, my son's messing around. We need to, we need to change the way he's training. And instead of him, like, you know, changing our business model and what he thinks it should be best for his kid, kind of educate him on that. But what do you think, Adam? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough thing. Uh, we talk about it a good bit. Is I think there's a lot of people that feel entitled these days and kind of want to tell you how you're supposed to run your business or what they think would be best for you. But in the long run, are they looking out for your business or are they looking out just for their kid? And mm-hmm. so in that standpoint there, it totally feels like he was trying to see if he could make him feel special by putting him maybe in a one-on-one setting versus being with two other ones. And the big thing it was is, he's already in a group training atmosphere anyway. So it's not that that's correlating to, Hey, can my son maybe get extra attention from that standpoint? And we've talked about it on here as you've been a big help to me of changing the way we did our lessons from the solo privates to now they're semi privates where people are in there. Now, obviously if it's like a little daycare or a day camp going on, which I know it wouldn't be happening at your place, then okay. I can see where you'd have an issue, but when you have yourself, then you have a coach like Carl that's doing a great job. And then they're going to get questioned about yep. this. It just, and to me, it's, it goes back to just entitlement, whether it's, we talk about how this kind of correlates to teaching. Jennifer gets emails from parents that are entitled. Uh, the mm-hmm. kids all of a sudden feel entitled. Uh, we know being both athletes that some athletes in school felt entitled where I'm an athlete. I don't have to do the schoolwork. And it's just one of those things that instead of just knowing what you signed up for, respecting the process, respecting the system, but more than anything is, like, if you don't like it, you can leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're not enforcing you to pay money and train at this place. It's, 
it was really that bad. That's what it would ultimately come down to. But it's kind of just one of those ways of a parent thinking he's going to have too much power of I'm going to try to tell you what to do. And here's my opinion. And if you do like it, maybe you'll change it for me. But if not, then I'm just going to be, okay, well, never mind. We're okay. Yeah. It will get better from that standpoint. So it just goes back to the entitlement thing. And you're not the first time. It's not the first time it's happening, I'm sure. And it's not going to be the last time you're going to have to deal with kind of stuff like that going forward. We've had the same thing when we did first do the transition over where there was one or two parents that were saying they weren't going to be able to pay that. They were still getting the same amount of time, but they're not going to be able to pay that and work in with somebody. And I perfectly just told them, okay, I'm sorry, but this is the way the business is going. And we're seeing really good results. You're the first one that's complained about it. Well, a month later, that person came back to start training. And now every time they text, it's, hey, who's his age or higher? Is there anybody we can hit with? And it's just fun to see how they bought into it now. And it's just like anything when things change, man, like everything's going to change in life. I mean, from year to year, business models are going to change. You just went to the payment program of paying monthly now versus before. So like things are going to gradually change, but we're always doing this with the hindsight of putting the business in a better situation. So mm-hmm. uh, I hate that happened, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole situation there. And I think you handled yourself well, where you kind of let Carl, Hey, if you want to handle it this way, if not, then I'll get involved with it. But it's a teaching point from him too, because I love doing the same thing with my employees is try to handle it yourself first, because one day you might not be my employee. You might be coaching somewhere else and you're going to have to deal with these situations. So go ahead and start getting used to how to handle it. Now, if you want me to step in more than happy, I'll step in and try to say something. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that there's, there's definitely a disconnect, um, and I, I will start. I will state with this, and this is not to brag or anything like that. But we rarely, rarely ever hear anybody complaining or saying something negative or anything like that. Um, and this guy, he wasn't really complaining. I think he was just trying to ask a question about what he really wanted to get out of this, as opposed what he think he wanted to get out of the training versus what is actually happening. And I think it's very important for people that are listening. Is you know. For you with young athletes, you know, especially that, that, that seven-year-old to 12-year-old age range, um, for you to think that someone's going to get into this environment, this training environment, semi-private environment or a group environment, whatever it is, for you to think there's not going to be growing pains, you're, you're, you're I don't want to say you're dis- delusional, but you're, you're, you're kind of out of touch with how things, things are because this is something that people don't understand, and I'm going to hit on it right now, is you know, working hard and, and, and understanding how to work hard, understand how to push yourself to another level, understanding how to focus. That's a skill that has to be developed. It's not something that people know how to do. And I think it gets confusing with a lot of kids saying, well, I'm working hard. Well, a lot of time people think working hard is putting in an hour and a half of work in for the day. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that say I'm grinding on social media. I'm grinding. I'm doing this. There's always somebody working harder. Um, and you could work an hour and a half and get essentially nothing done versus somebody that can work a half hour and be hundred percent all in purposeful and have hundred percent intent, everything they're doing and get better in a half hour than a person going an hour and a half. Um, there's a reason why you have a kid, a kid, B kid, C in a lesson and kid, A and kid B, you know, for instance, let's say that they're really flying and they're really kicking ass and taking names. Kid C is kind of trailing behind them. And so even if they're all, you know, equal in talent. The number one reason that is those other two kids, kid A and kid B, will show up and they'll give everything they got in the lesson. They're working hard. They're getting after it. And also, when it comes to those environments, if you ask the kids and ask any parent long-term that's seen lessons and you ask them which one they enjoy more, they will will 100% of the time say the semi-private environment because it creates a competitive atmosphere. It also creates a camaraderie 
but it also starts the culture of the business. It's, it creates the culture of young men, you know, competing against other young men and young women doing the exact same thing or women competing against, you know, young women competing against, competing against young men. Um, cause I, I, I will put softball players in with baseball players all the time. I'll put, you know, an advanced 12, 13 year old with an advanced 16, 17 year old. Cause I want them to understand like, Hey, this is how we compete. We create a culture where we're creating and building leaders. We're creating a culture and, and where we're creating and building workers. Cause you have to be a worker before you're a leader, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so many facets of why we do things and how we do things. And so for those that are listening, if you're buying into a program, you know, you can't just see three or four sessions and be like, oh, well, this, I know everything there is to know. I know that he's not developing the way I think he should. Um, like I said, everybody learns at different pace, uh, different uh, paces in life. But there's another thing that people don't understand. And, and I'm going to break this down is there's always the parent that yells. There's always the parent that's constantly correcting their kid. And I, it blows my mind. This is not, uh, people don't understand this. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I'll yell at my kids. And I'll get on my kids. So I'm not dogging that aspect of things, but I, I'm, I'm under. I'm trying to get people to understand the environment. Kids, bodies, they're uncoordinated. They don't have stabilization. They're still developing motor skills. They don't have the coordination that we have as adults. And you and I both know there's a lot of adults that can't walk and chew gum too. So they've got to learn to, they've got to, learn to be able to, to get coordinated and, and build that, that fast switch that we we're talking about earlier too. Um, but the body of a kid doesn't want to listen to the words that are coming out of a coach's mouth. Like it, it, it is, it is trying to do something that a coach is saying, but if you're just constantly cueing, you know, that's not going to change the kid's uh, habit. It's not going to change his muscle memory, yelling at a kid to stop stepping in the bucket or yelling at a kid to stop dropping his back shoulder over and over and over. is not going to fix the problem. He has completely zero proprioception when young kids start out and we've got it. We've got to change how they learn. Um, there's a lot of unconscious incompetence. They're completely unaware of what they're doing wrong. They're completely unaware of where their hands are. Um, I'll move a kid's hands. Sometimes it'll take me two months for a kid to finally get a habit of getting his hands in a certain place at launch or in his stance. And it's not because he's not trying. Sometimes that's the case. And then when that's the case, I I'm a little hard on them, but it's, it's a learning experience. And people have got to understand when you're putting in that environment, there's constraints. You got to, you got to put kids in, you got to physically put them in an environment where they forces them to do the drill, right. Whether it's, you know, the uh, connection ball drills, you know, putting a balance beam. I am a big fan of doing balance beam stuff um, and not not putting guys necessarily on balance beams. We do that on some drills, but putting a two by six on the ground and forcing kids to step in a straight line or forcing them to gain some ground in their stride and stepping over in a pause drill. There's so many, there's so many different drills. Like we could sit here and talk about for hours, but um, for those that are listening, when you have young kids involved in lessons, Asking your coach or asking the instructor to hold your son's hand or your daughter's hand to say, hey, this is how you're going to do this. This is how you're going to do that. You could do that for 60 minutes straight. The kid's going to come back in the next session. He might be aware of what you're trying to do, but the likelihood of them being able to implement it is going to be very slim because the most important aspect I always tell in a lesson is when you ask a kid to do something, you teach a kid to do something, you show them a drill or a constraint drill. And if they're able to do that on their own, then we know it's going to carry over in their practices and so forth in the future. So it's, you know, it's easy to do something right or try to do something right. Um, but the thing is, is you've got to understand that there's a learning process involved from a, you know, a, a mindset of how to work hard, but also training the body to move in the right direction. So uh, it's, 
I am not the end all be all of all knowledge in this game, but I do know that I've trained hundreds and hundreds of kids and every one of them is exactly what I just said right there. Yeah, exactly. And it's important that they understand, like sometimes don't say anything at all and let them fail and let them try to figure it out. And I think they're going to learn that way. And I think that's what gets overlooked more than anything is a lot of uh, parents, so to speak, think if we're not saying something, then we're not coaching them. Mm-hmm. Or they've got to start to learn that their body and what it is that makes their body click and makes these certain little things happen for them. So with hitters, I always like to talk about is find one or two things that get you back to where you need to be. Because if you start thinking about 10 different things going on, then you're just going to be lost up there. So when we're not into the same area and you're out at your practice or you're in the game, you know how to get yourself back on track faster than anybody because you're the one ultimately up there competing. So there's going to be times I'm sure that it happens at your place too, where we'll do flips or BP and like, I won't say a word for at least 10 pitches. And it's not because anything's wrong. Anything's going, and it's, I want these kids to number one, understand something's not right. And so it's like, all right, how do I get back on track without depending on coach to always tell me what to do? Or number two, if they're just absolutely destroying the ball, I don't say anything either. And people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, what do you want me to say? Good job. Like you're doing everything great right now. There is literally nothing for me to say. So you don't have to be one of these coaches that after every swing is saying something just to be a good coach. And I think that's ultimately what makes the best coaches is helping them develop a game plan uh, of problem solving. That's what hitting comes down to more than anything is you're just solving the problem of trying to figure out how to put the bat on the ball hard consistently. And when you can get as close as you can to that, that's all you're looking for. And that young age, like going back to that eight-year-old, is like it's so important for him to learn how to work. And if two other kids are kind of messing around, maybe tell them, hey, I'm here to get better. Quit messing around or try to be a leader. Or if maybe that one person's slacking in the other two yards, it helps them realize that I'm not where I need to be. And if I ultimately want to keep playing this game, then I've got to get on board and try to learn and try to compete and hang with these big dogs like this. So it is cool when you throw hitters together because one of my better hitters, I think Haley, the softball girl, I'll throw in there with baseball players all the time just to see how they handle it. And every one of them comes away with the baseball wise, like, holy cow, (laughs) just watching them hit. But it's cool because and she'll even ramp up her intensity where maybe she was hitting with a lesser hitter before, or maybe she was by herself. And now it's, I'm going to show these dudes that I can hit too. And so now that's when it gets really fun because they just earn her respect for sure. And they all start asking her questions or watching her movements and understanding that it's one full swing. It's not a baseball or softball swing, so to speak, that we talk about, but just how you learn this game and how you learn your body. Cause you said it best is like, you can yell at a kid all day to quit doing this, but he physically may not know he's doing that. Or even if he does know, he's like, I've got to do something to overcorrect the situation. So there was one kid that was really flying open big times. So I closed him up a little bit and told him I want him stepping towards the plate versus away from the plate. Now, was he naturally doing that? No, but it helped him focus of this feels different than when I fly open. This feels better. So I'm going to try to implement doing this versus what I had done all along just because that felt natural and normal to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really good point, especially letting kids figure it out, giving them five, 10, 12 pitches. Like I I'll do the exact same thing. If they're rolling over three, four five times in a row and I've covered something, I'm going to see if they're going to figure it out. I'm going to keep throwing. And if they haven't said anything, I'll reinforce it. Cause you know, going back to the parent, like it's our job as coaches to reinforce, Hey, we are going to bring those things up. We are going to give cues. Um, but it's the way you do it, you know, yelling it at them. Like, Hey, stop rolling over. That, 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 what the hell does that mean? I don't know what, like they don't, they kids don't understand. Like, 
okay, why is this kid rolling over? Is mm-hmm. he pulling his front side early? Or maybe as his hands are, are, are pushing away from his body and that causes him to pull his front side to try to get the barrel through. There's a million, and you and I both, there's a million different, you know, reasons why kids will do things. You know, a lot of people look at a result and they try to fix the result instead of looking at the catalyst and the reason that that result is happening. Um, and that's a lot of old school method, you know, and you could use internal cues, external cues. Um, but there's, there's, there's so many things that it's, it's not a one way track. Like what works for one kid is not going to work for the next kid. And again, going back to our jobs, like if they don't know how to work hard and I tell them at Larry's training all the time, like I'm going to teach you how to work hard. Every time I hear kids make excuses, like they don't have time to do things or, you know, they're busy or whatever like that. I will make fun of them and I will get on them hard. Uh, specifically with the older guys, cause they can take it. Obviously you want to have that camaraderie where you're joking around with people. Um, and so when anytime somebody's being a bum, um, and I kind of have created this in, in the environment. So people that know me, hear me call people Kevin all the time. And so the name Kevin uh, derives from a kid a long time ago that showed up at Laird's training and showed up for a lesson. And I told him to start doing some wrist rolls in between some reps I look over and he runs into the front room in the waiting area, sitting with his mom on the couch. And so I'm like, dude, what are you doing? This is not how we do things. So I had to bring him back inside. Um, and then he got pissed off at a drill we were doing and kind of threw his bat down. I said, Hey, that's strike two. Next thing, next time you do something, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. And sure enough, I asked him to do something and he kind of threw, you know, I don't want to say a temper tantrum, but he kind of walked off and stormed off and showed some bad body language. So walked him into the front room. And I said, Hey, you know, guys, um, this is not how we do things at LT. Um, this is not what I want to represent the brand when we go out there. Um, and the mom was kind of pissed off about it, but the dad understood it. I said, Hey, if you want your money back, you could take it. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not what I want. And the dad's like, Hey, no, we don't want to waste your time. We understand he's just not mentally ready for this yet. So now I tell the story to all my kids. If you're being a jackass and if you're going around, I'm like, Hey, Kevin, Stop messing around. <laughs> so now everybody, everybody in the uh, in the entire system yells at people and calls them Kevin. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty cool environment for us to kind of make fun of some kids without obviously calling them you know a name or something yeah. like that. Um, but if I see kids doing that, you know, they'll, they'll they're like, okay, hey, I'm I gotta straighten out, I gotta do this. And so there's there's always an accountability aspect where you've got to make sure kids are working hard. You got to make sure they're, they're they have intent. Um, and there's no perfect person. There's obviously going to be people that show up at lessons and they're, they're struggling for the day. Like I show up at lessons one day, I might feel like absolute crap. Am I going to let my kids know that? Hell no. I'm going to show up. Like I, I just, you know, took some, uh, I don't want to say, I was about to say, I'm I'd, like, I took some cocaine. Not that I would ever <laughs> do that for those that are listening, <laughs> but I want them to see a high energetic coach yep. going after it. And I want them to know that I'm giving everything I got. By the end of the night, I'm exhausted. That's like that's that's the mentality I got to have. I want to give everything I got into into these lessons. I want them to understand, like, hey, this is. I want that to rub off on them and have that same exact mentality when they show up. Yep, and that's what it's about. That's the culture you're building. That's what you want there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but you know, there was a there was another topic that we wanted to talk about, uh, kind of about bullying and picking on. But I think we should say that for another episode. I think we could really talk about that for a long time, but. I kind of want to close out with, you know, um, what are kind of some goals that you guys have at High School Heat for 2021? Like, I know everybody in the New Year's talks about goal setting, and I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, 2021, we're going to do this. Like, but obviously, we always set goals for New Year's. We achieved a lot of goals in 2020. 
obviously we, we got together and started a podcast, which I'm, I'm enjoying thoroughly. Like I know you are like, what are some things that you guys have for goals uh, for 2021? Well, it's funny because one of the goals that just comes popping in my head is for us to get together and run a weekend hitting clinic. And I think we've talked about it before of how we can make this work just to so we can both be around each other and into that environment and into that atmosphere and see how one another works with our clients, whether it's you come down here or I go up there or we do both mm-hmm. and just try to learn new things like we talk about all the time is learn new verbiage, learn what makes some people tick and what some people need to try to avoid doing. So that's one of the goals is to try to get together and do that and do an in-person podcast for sure. But then as a goal for the facility is like, it's as crazy as it sounds as I want the hitters in the facility. Like I'm going to probably try to keep a tracker this year of, and not that home runs are everything, but I think it would be a cool thing to see if we can reach a home, a hundred home runs as a facility. So what I'm going to try to do is track each kid that has come through there and that continues to be a trainer. They're not one kid that came one time and I'm going to try to take his credit for him. But if you're a consistent member of the program, we want to try to track and see by the end of the year between school ball and summer ball, can we reach that hundred? And then you got fall ball to reach that hundred plateau. I think that'd be a cool thing for our hitters to kind of keep track of and take notice of, but more than anything, man, I just want these kids to freaking have fun, get after it, enjoy themselves. And carry the environment over that we've been building in the facility for the past year and carry that to their high school programs, because they're going to carry that when they walk through the door. And a lot of these kids, we have a a really talented group between 13 and 14 and they're seventh and eighth graders now, but they, when they walk in, they're kind of alpha males already. And it's so cool to see that when I mentioned they were competing against a senior and a live at bat at 14 years old, and this is a senior that's going to play college baseball as a left-handed pitcher. And like to see that they've already got that swagger about them, that built and that confidence and carry that over to their their school program and see the benefits that they're going to have from doing that. And I just can't wait to, to watch these videos, man, because this is when it gets exciting as we'll be sitting there on our couch at night hanging with our wives and all of a sudden somebody gets a here's a message coming through of a kid hitting a home run. And you're like, there mm-hmm. you go. Or here's a kid throwing a three struck out three guys in one inning, whatever it is from that standpoint. And then that's where they get to see all that hard work that they've been putting in. Now it finally is getting here. Cause I think more than anything that season got cut short last year. So I think that's another reason so many kids are just so eager and like foaming at the mouth to get ready to go this year. And it's going to be really cool to see how they're going to crush some, crush some, uh, some dreams this year whenever they're facing some of these pitchers. Cause I'm telling you, man, since I've been doing this for three and a half years now, this is the most prepared I've seen our guys and I'm just super excited and ready to track them and keep going. But from your end, what about your goals? What goals do you have for the facility? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, um, I'm a hundred percent going to steal and plagiarize your idea of the home runs and make a yes. highlight video for that. Yes. So that's a really good idea. Like I usually people will send them to me and I'll post them on, on like an Instagram or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'll have like a, like a story that's always up there for LT players hitting home runs. But I think it'd be cool to kind of put a, like a little thing together of all the kids home runs and keep a yeah. track on them and post them. So that's, a, that's a really good idea. Uh, well, there's, a, there's some big goals for later. Shane. We're going to build a new facility in 2021. There we go. Uh, we're going to make that happen no matter what. There's a couple of opportunities in land-wise um, that uh, we're going to take advantage of. I know there's some uh, people, maybe they listen to the podcast, maybe they don't, that don't want that to happen, but that shit's going to happen for those that are listening. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of people that want it to happen, especially as well, not to be that guy, but it's it's going to happen. So, And then um, another thing for us is I want to make sure, like when it comes to developing guys, I want to try to make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can from a timing perspective with our hitters. 
um, with us being in cold weather states, um, you know, not being outside very often, we work a lot of timing inside and they, they, sometimes they get their first live AB outside their first mm-hmm. game of the season. It's really hard. Um, so I'm going to try, uh, some new ideas that I've been thinking of over the off season and try to implement and try to make sure timing is as best as possible. And obviously, you know, some things work better for other people, but I want to get to a position to where I can create as much of uh, uh, the, the same angle, the ball's coming in on playing with the hitters, uh, that they're going to get outside the same thing. Um, you know, that guys are going to have in the cages. I want to try to implement that as much as possible. Um, I also have some some uh, pretty good ideas for uh, T-shirts for LT. I've been wanting to start a T-shirt business for a long time, and we have a goal, and my, my wife and I, to kind of start a T-shirt business with LT and kind of get that rolling. Um, it won't necessarily be an LT. and probably would be something completely different, but I got some pretty cool ideas that uh, we're going to implement and kind of um, un- uh, unveil here in about probably three, four months down the road. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to see those. Absolutely, brother. But anything you want to hop in and say before we roll out? No, I'm excited we're back on, guys, and I know we had a nice little break for the holidays, and it's going to be cool to start tracking their stuff. And then, I mean, I say we both do this idea together with the 100, like the 100 home runs. Yeah. Just weeks after it, we'll give them a little shout-out on the podcast each week as the ones that are getting up there. We'll keep updated with our numbers. And more than anything is now, parents, you have a video on your phone. Everybody has one these days. Is like video your stuff, whether it's good or bad. Like these are going to help these kids learn more than anything is watching yourself. And what I tell hitters all the time, and then we'll leave it at this, is even when you're going bad, like don't always just watch the negative stuff. Like you have to be reminded of when you're at your best. So save your videos of when you're crushing doubles or crushing line drives. That way when you're down in the dumps a little bit, look back at it, see if there's something going on mechanical. But if not, just more than anything, just to watch yourself succeed. And I remember reading a book a while ago where Derek Jeter has like a highlight film basically that he likes to watch before each and every game. And it's not that he's confident or cocky or conceited or anything. He just likes to watch himself succeed because he knows the hard work that he puts in and he knows that that's what he's looking for to get out of it. Absolutely. That's good stuff to end on right there, man. Um, I'd love to actually have an episode where we talk about confidence, building confidence and visualization and all that stuff. Cause there's a lot of things that people don't know how to implement um for sure we could definitely tap on that in the future but guys if you uh, enjoyed this episode please leave that five star review please like and share as much as you can on social media uh we enjoy doing this we want to get out and reach as many people as we can um so we look forward to you guys hearing this episode and until next time we'll see you guys later